0: Welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope, the podcast that inspires your faith and gives you reason to hope. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland. I want to thank you so much for joining us uh, as we embark on our next to last episode for this season, season two, episode 21. And I'm going to interview a friend of mine and a colleague, fellow pastor, Pastor Brian Banyos. And uh, I can't wait to to have you hear his story, it's incredible. Um, the other day, we were going out to eat with with him and his wife and, and a group of other people, and his wife was kind of telling Brian's testimony. And as soon as I was hearing it, I was thinking, I need to get Brian to share his testimony for you all to hear. So, uh, here it is: my conversation with Pastor Brian Banyos. Hope you enjoy. show thanks thanks for having me so why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself where uh, what are you currently doing I mentioned you're a pastor uh, where are you pastoring um, a little bit about stuff
1: so um, I'm originally from Miami Florida uh, born and raised there father's of Cuban descent my mother's um, straight-up American lady um, <laughs> and um, I'm currently pastoring in the city of Taylor mill Kentucky and that is about 15 minutes south of Cincinnati.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow. So way up north.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, well, good. So uh, this is kind of your wife's fault because she was she and my wife were uh, were talking the other day, and I was there listening, and uh, she was talking about how she never wanted to marry a pastor. And uh, when she married you, she thought she was safe. <laughs> Can you explain that? Why Why would she think marrying you was a safe bet on not marrying a pastor?
1: Well, I think it had a lot to do with because I wasn't I wasn't in church. <laughs> you know, I was just kind of, you know, this guy, I guess she thought I was a nice guy. You know, we met each other in culinary school. And <laughs> and so she never thought that she'd be marrying a pastor because she was marrying a chef. <laughs> so, um, you know, there was no chance of her ever being in, in ministry in that kind of way. But... You know, the one thing that she didn't know, she knew that she would have good food.
0: Yes. That's, that's good. And that's important. That's that's why I married my wife. So, (laughs) Uh, so, so you were a chef at the time, what were, what were your dreams and goals and aspirations at at that point in your life?
1: Yeah. So my, my biggest, my biggest thing is I, I loved, I loved cooking and it was a passion of mine since I was a kid and my, my grandmother, I would sit, I would sit by her feet all the time. And I know that sounds so cliche, but for me it was absolutely true. Mm Um, and she'd be seasoning her food and the seasoning would fall on the table. And I just always taste the seasoning as she was cooking and, and just, I grew up with it. I mean, my life was food growing up, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and so, and it, it really did stem from my, from my grandmother. And I said, I said one day, I said, you know, I, I want to be a chef. Mm -hmm. And I had always said that my, 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 my whole life. And one thing led to another. And I enrolled in culinary school in Miami, the Cordon Bleu, uh, College of Culinary Arts. And, um, and uh, that's where I met uh, that's where I met my wife. So um, naturally, she's going to think she's not going to marry pastor.
0: <laughs> so you were both then chefs, or, or wanted to become chefs.
1: Yeah, yeah, both of us. Both of us worked in the in the Miami food scene for for a while. Um, I worked also in in Palm Coast, uh, Florida, working at a at a at a at a big golf resort um, over there. And um, then came back down to Boca Raton and worked for uh, some fine dining restaurants there. So, And Anna, she's worked, uh, my wife, she's worked for some pretty, pretty good establishments in Miami as well. In fact, one of the restaurants she worked at was um, considered at one point the top restaurant in all of Miami. Wow. So, um, so yeah, we, we both love cooking.
0: Yeah, that's good. So your wife was telling us a little bit um, the other day about how your goal at that point was to um, work in London and uh, work for Gordon Ramsay, and uh, and she was telling us a little bit about how you were kind of on your journey there, how you ended up working for Gordon Ramsay for a little bit, and she told us about the interview process. and um, Can you tell us just a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I mean, I was I was at the at this point I was working at um, I was working in Pump Coast, and I was on the verge of becoming the executive sushi chef of the, of the resort. Um, and you know, this resort, they had, they had golf courses designed by Jack Nicholas and it was a pretty good place. Tiger Woods had a penthouse there. And wow. So it was a, it was a good, pretty good place. And I had an opportunity to make pretty good money at an early age, um, to, to, you know, to, to be an executive sous chef and move up in the ranks. Mm-hmm. But I had always, I always wanted something more than just cooking in banquets and cooking in large production. I actually liked cooking in smaller proportion, but, um, but with excellence, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so kind of telling a story on the plate. And so when you do mm-hmm. that with a large crowd, it's kind of hard to do that. People are just coming to eat and mm-hmm. kind of stuff their face. Mm-hmm. But um, when it comes to fine dining food, it's actually more artistic, more creative. And so mm-hmm. the food tastes wonderful. But you're telling a story with each with each plate that comes about. And so I said, you know, I really want to work for a top chef in the mm-hmm. world. And, of course, I mean, who better than Gordon Ramsay? Right. And so I had spent about a year and a half, two years, sending emails to London um, just to just to see if something something caught. And one day, my wife and I were at Disney World, and there in Orlando. And um, as I'm as I'm as I'm walking out of the park, um, and we had to go to the park the next day. But as I'm walking out, I get a call from an unknown number, and I pick it up. I don't know why, but I pick it up, and it was it happened to be the chef at the at um at a restaurant in Boca Raton. That was owned by Gordon Ramsay. Oh wow! Um, it was called Cielo, which means uh, sky or heaven in Italian. And um, you know, they said they wanted me to come in for an interview. And I immediately, I told, I told my wife, I said, you know what? We're not going to go back to the, <laughs> go back to um, to the theme park tomorrow. I'm going down to drive down and go <laughs> for an interview. And I went there and I interviewed. Um, and they liked my interview. Um, I felt intimidated, but they really, really liked the interview. But at the end of the day, the, uh, person interviewing me said, look, you have great resume, you have good experience, but we don't know what you can do. We need you to work a night for free here in the mm-hmm. kitchen to see what you can do. And so can you come tomorrow night? I said, I can't come tomorrow night. I have to work mm-hmm. the next night. So, um, can I do it right now? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have any clothes. I didn't have any, I didn't have my work clothes with me and she And, and the person's like, Hey man, um, you don't have, you don't have anything to work with. I said, look, just give me an apron and give me a knife and we'll work. (laughs) And so I worked that night for free. And before the night was over, um, they offered me the job and I moved, I moved my family down. And so I went from possibly making uh, $70,000 a year um, to now, uh, to now working at the bottom of the barrel, uh, 17, 18 hours a day and just busting my behind and, hardly at making ends meet just so I can get the experience of working and fine dining and increasing my skill set.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you're almost, I and mean, you're on the ladder to your dreams at this point. You are, you are in the, <laughs> on your way and you're working for Gordon Ramsey already. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you're working mm-hmm. there for a little bit. What happened? You kind of hit rock bottom shortly after this point. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, that was, it was crazy. You know, I mean, the, every you know, you probably watch Kitchen Nightmares and Hell's Kitchen and all that stuff. And a lot of that stuff that you see on TV is actually not scripted. A lot of that mm-hmm. stuff is actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens in the restaurant, and um, and I, I actually I thrived on it. I loved it. Uh, you get cussed out every day. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that part, <laughs> but um, you know I liked the rush. I liked I liked the the idea of um, mastering the basics. Mm-hmm. I loved all of that. Um, I thought it was just the most amazing thing but I started thinking to myself because I was, I had worked and worked and worked 17, 18 hours a day. And it was just, wasn't just there, but it was at even my previous restaurants, 17, 18 hours a day. There came a point for like five months straight. I was working seven days a week at those mm-hmm. hours. And my daughter had, you know, she was born, uh, she, you know, she was about one, two years old and I had missed a lot of her life. Mm-hmm. And when you work in the restaurant business, specifically in fine dining, mastering perfection, um, you know, you lose, you do lose a lot. A lot is required of you and you don't get a lot of compensation for that. Mm -hmm. The only compensation that you get for your hard work is, is increased skill set, which is what I was looking for. But, um, you know, I think what happened was, is when I was in culinary school, um, I was not married and walking out of culinary school, I was married. Mm -hmm. So I think, I took the drive that I had from culinary school before being married and I kept that drive even through my marriage mm-hmm. and through us having a kid and everything. And I never thought about how does this affect my family? Mm-hmm. How does this affect um, me as, as, a, as a, you know, I don't know, as a, um, as a father, as a, as a husband? And um, I remember just being there in the restaurant one day and I remember thinking to myself, you know, if my wife and my daughter were standing here right now um, and the chef is cussing at me, and all this stuff is going around. Would this guy do that in front of them? Mm-hmm. Would they would they even care that my family is suffering uh, because they don't get to see their husband or father? Mm-hmm. Um, would they care that I don't get to see them?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the, I answered that question, and, and I said, you know what? They wouldn't care.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Nobody would care.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What is this all for? What am I trying to achieve? Because if I if I become a good a really good chef I've become a, a chef of a three Michelin star restaurant what am I gonna do then mm-hmm. once I've achieved the apex of, mm-hmm. of, of everything then what
0: mm-hmm.
1: what what's then what what's next is it maintaining it the hunt is gone the, mm-hmm. the drive for the hunt is gone mm-hmm. there's no purpose anymore and I thought about that and it was a very dark place for me to be in mm-hmm. extremely dark um, because my purpose in life was to become the best that I could very be but I never asked my question. I never asked the question why. Hmm. And once I asked the question why, then all the hopes and the dreams that I had of becoming a great chef and becoming the the best skilled that I can be, it all faded away. And I now had no purpose and I had nothing to cling on to. And I was walking in darkness really. Hmm. And so, um, I actually walked off the job. I had never done that in my entire life. I walked off the job of a dream restaurant that, um, I gave, up, I gave up my house where I was living. I bought a house at 23 years old, new construction. Wow. I gave that up. I gave up making $70,000, $75,000 a year, being an executive sous chef to go work for this place that I end up finding out this is not worth it. Mm-hmm. And so here I am, I'm like in this dark place, I walk off, I have no job and now I try to find a job and I can't find any job. And I feel like I can't support my family. I can't support my, my wife, my, my daughter. And I, I just feel like a loser. My wife, she finally had to go get a job because I couldn't find one. And so mm-hmm. I was at home babysitting my kid. Mm-hmm. So I go from being at the very top, in my opinion, to now being at the very lowest of lows. Wow. And I'm just like, man, what do I do now? No. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah. Wow. So at this point when you're kind of the darkest darkest in your life, in your life, you know the, the saying the, the darkest hours is, is right before dawn. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's true in this in this sense?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I think so because um what 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 would happen next in the in the next in the next few months was was an absolute God thing. I think God orchestrated that in some way, you know. Um because my wife's grandfather, he was she he's he was a he was a lay pastor in Cuba, and um, he had come over from Cuba not too many months uh, after my wife and I had gotten together, and so she um, he had always been trying to study the Bible. Me, I didn't want anything to do with it, <laughs> and as um, as we moved back down to South Florida. Um, we ended up moving in the same complex that he was in. And now here I am. I have no job. I'm taking care of my daughter. My wife is working. And she's the one who's the breadwinner of the house. And I'm here, this guy who feels so small right now. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a male ego thing. Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> maybe that's wrong. But that's what I felt at the right, time. Right. Um, and then, a willow, how we call them. That means grandfather in, in Spanish. Um, a willow would come and knock at my door. And he'd come knocking at my door with a Bible in his hand. You want to study the Bible? What am I going to tell the guy? I don't. I didn't really want to study the Bible. Right. But what am I going to tell him? Yeah. I'm going to tell him no. Oh well, yeah, come on in. First few Bible studies that we had together, you know, and they were they were not like these orchestrated Bible studies. It was just like you know talking and very conversational. Um, and I was I really wasn't paying attention too much because I really didn't have too much of an interest. Um, but then he touched on the subject. Mm. He touched on a subject that really caught my attention. He asked me one day, he says, Brian, what do you think, uh, what do you think about hell? And I told, I told him, I said, well, there's people burning in hell right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he said to me, he says, and I remember, I remember him looking at me, and I was looking to see if he would judge me. I was looking to see what he would say. And I remember seeing in him this love that came over. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, can you show me where you found that in the Bible? I'd like to know. And I'm like, I can't show you. I don't know where it's at. Mm-hmm and so he and then he looked at me and says I want to show you a few things that I think you'd be interested in hearing. So he pointed me to some text and he showed me. He's like and I I end up walking away from that day thinking to myself, wow. God is a God of love. God is not burning people in hell forever and ever and ever. He may annihilate them, but he's not burning them forever and ever and ever. And it was the first time, first time since I was about 14 13 or 14 that I was able to get a full night's rest because that was a topic. That had plagued me since I was a little boy, wow. and I had never been able to sleep until that day. I was twenty, about twenty, um, about twenty-six years old, twenty-four years old, and it was the first time in years that I was able to sleep.
0: Wow, wow! So we have like a minute left. Um, so just to kind of summarize what happened next. What? So what
1: happened next was is I my wife she told me about a church that she had gotten baptized in, and I went to that church. And of course, as I entered that church, I said to myself, I said, you know, these people, uh, you know, like many people say, these people are going to judge me. These Mm -hmm. people are just looking down on me and they're judging me and whatnot. And I was very conscientious, uh, self-conscious about that. And I went up to my, she, my wife told me, why don't you go up to the pastor and introduce yourself? And I did. And when I introduced myself to the pastor, my life changed. Wow. Because he's like, bro, give me your number. Mm. Like, like within the first half an hour, I mean, have 30 seconds, (laughs) give me a number. And I gave him my number and the guy called me, just took me under his wing and just discipled me through the process. And, and I was, I was wondering about baptism a few months later and, and I was just struggling with a few things, but I had asked myself a question. I said, you know, am I making a good decision on getting baptized here in this church? And I, I, I kind of rationalized it this way. I said, you know what? This is the most loving church that I have ever been a part of. Mm. If God is love, and these people are loving, then there must these people must have the truth. These people must be walking in light. Mm-hmm. And I got baptized because of that. Not because of any kind of doctrinal or dogmatic statement. I was baptized because I said, you know what? These people represent a love that I see God represents in the Bible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, you know what? I want to be a part of that. And I want to be part of that love. Mm-hmm. The love that Awulu showed me, the love that God has showed me through all of this, even in my darkest hour... And I want to be a part of that. And then a year later, I got I I, start, I enrolled into um, into college to become a pastor. Wow! Because it impressed me so much.
0: Wow! So is that kind of what you'd say to someone who's maybe on the fence right now? Um, maybe they're pursuing their dreams, but they they're not feeling fulfilled, and and they're looking for maybe a church or a community of believers. I know Jesus said, "By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another." Is that what you tell someone? Is they yeah.
1: looking for? I think, so. I think so. I think so. I think you have to ask yourself the reason, you have to ask yourself the why of things. And sometimes those whys may take you to a darker place. But I think, um, you know, sometimes, as you said, in the darkest hour, it, always, it, it really does mean that dawn is on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, think, I think that that's something that we need to do. We need to be asking ourselves why and get connected with a church that is loving, get connected with a church that loves people, that um, is biblically sound, but also loves people. Um, I think when you have those two together, I think that uh, it's a recipe for making your life, uh, to getting your life on the trajectory that God wants it.
0: Wow, such an incredible story, such an incredible testimony. Pastor Brian Banyos, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Um, now you can see why I had to have him on the podcast, why I had to interview him and, uh, and share his story. Um, incredible story so thank you for sharing and uh, thank you for listening Um, you can go to our website at faithandhoperadio.com you can find links there to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Spotify, you can find us on Facebook at Faith and Hope Radio Uh, music was provided as always by Dexter Britton under the Creative Commons license. Hope you have a wonderful day great week, God bless you and until we meet again, have faith and hope